Welcome back, dear listener, to the Life and Times of Warwick's Farm. This podcast I've called Last Friday Afternoon. Well, unlike people, most people who work in offices and, and factories and shops and so forth, we don't really have a 9-to-5 lifestyle on the farm. However, it's still nice to knock off early on a Friday afternoon, like in the old days. And so it came this last Friday. that It had been, been a busy day. Traditionally, Fridays are tied up in the morning, most of the morning spent cleaning out the rabbitry hutches and the guinea pig um, little hutches, cleaning out their bedding and, and cleaning out all their mess, putting in the compost pile, refreshing their water, putting new bedding in and uh, feeding them, getting them ready for a nice a nice new week. And so it was with this this uh, last Friday. It had been a busy week and as I was, was walking across our nicely mowed lawns, I was looking forward to a nice cool glass of wine before 5pm hopefully. Well that was the plan. The usual uh, round of the after, late afternoon chores involves starting off with the rabbits, uh, feeding them, giving them the hay, fresh grass and topping up their water, freshening up their waters. Likewise with the guinea pigs. Then we feed the cockatiels their seed. Then we move on to the our new silky enclosure with our younger silkies that we um, we uh, incubated from, from eggs. They've got their own little enclosure next to some older ones. And uh, so we feed them. Then I'll move on to the down the poultry lane and feed the quail and the and the Barbary doves and all the free rangers, as well as all the, the rare breed chickens in their hutches, refreshing their waters as we go. And uh, lastly, we put away the royal palm turkeys who have been free ranging all day, but they're still fairly young, so we like to keep them nice and safe at night. Then I head up to the house and feed the cats and the dog. And that's usually a wrap for the, for the week, so I can then relax and go and have a glass of wine. Or so the, uh, the theory goes. Anyway, last Friday was slightly different. Having fed the rabbits, I was uh, wandering off to the, um, the guinea pigs with Susie Dog, our Border Collie, uh, Border Collie Cross, who's a, a working dog who uh, doesn't work and is so full of energy. She's like an energizer battery. She just never runs out. But she's always racing around like a mad thing. Anyway, as I was approaching the, the guinea pigs, I noticed something a little untoward. Figaro, my favourite guinea pig, was out. Standing next to his standing next to his hutch on the wrong side of the wire. Anyway, Susie saw him as soon as I did, and of course she bounded over to him and poof, he was gone. Running into the into the boundary with the the highway, there, a big uh, pine. Stand of pine trees and the, and the hedge that stands in front of that, and disappeared into the into the uh, pine needle underbrush, which is not a good look for a guinea pig, which is a prey animal and uh, and is very good at hiding. Anyway, the first thing I did was uh, put Susie on her uh, on her run to get her out of the way, so she wouldn't scare the poor little creature even further. Uh, I noticed that I'd done something rather silly. There had been a, a hole in the netting I'd noticed a couple of weeks earlier, which I had put a temporary repair in, and um, uh, mainly a piece of mesh that I'd wedged a couple of uh, pieces of brick against to hold it tight against the the framework so um, nothing could get in or out. But then I'd remembered that while I was cleaning out the guinea pigs, uh, I had uh, pulled 
Figaro's little hut along the grass, a little bit along the lawn, so he'd have fresh grass underneath to, to chew on during the day, and had unfortunately dislodged my little support system, and uh, leaving the hole obviously exposed, and he had found the opportunity to pop out and have a, a graze for himself on some even fresher grass. And so began about 20 minutes of absolute fun. Not as he played hide and seek with me, running in and out of the uh, of the underbrush. And it's not just a matter of diving in after him because of the low hanging limbs and things. He had to be very very careful not to do himself an injury as we went. And of course, the more upset he got, the more scared he got, the the longer he was hiding. So I had to keep vigil for a while until he made an appearance again. Fortunately, he was coming back towards the guinea pig hut, which was a good thing because his uh, little friend was in there, his little girlfriend was there. Anyway, he eventually disappeared under the hutch. You can imagine this is a, a hutch, a fairly large box that we, we access, and under that there's a little hollow piece, and then there's the run that, that runs quite a way up. And so he ducked underneath the little box that was a slightly raised from the ground, so he would placed a, to to hide. So I thought, okay, I know he's there, and he's going to be safe there. So then I went and retrieved our very large net for catching, uh, well, for catching all sorts of things over the time, chickens, geese, turkeys, you name it. It's a very large net. And I endeavoured to, uh, to catch the little creature. I really, really didn't want to lose him because he's such a lovely little fella. He's the, um, he's the one that we use for the tours. We call him the green spaghetti-eating guinea pig because he entrances our guests as he consumes vast quantities of grass, but he sucks each blade up like a strand of spaghetti, which um, which keeps our, our visitors entertained, particularly the children, for, for for long periods of time. So ideally needed to find him and put him back because he was, uh, he was part of the tour. Anyway, he's under the hutch, which is not exactly small and quite heavy. Takes uh, two hands to, to lift up, so in fact I needed four hands, two to lift it up, one to hold the net, and one to grab him as the net went down over him. So uh, not having four hands, I was having to to uh, compromise using one hand to lift it up, and uh, he'd come racing out, and then I'd, with the other hand I'd try to chuck down the net over the top of him, but that wasn't successful for the first dozen or so times. And uh, while he was out from under it, would play hide-and-seek around either side of the hut. Fortunately, I could look over the top and see which direction he was going, and at last I finally managed to coordinate um, being on the right end as he snuck around the corner and the net fell over him and, and he was caught. So then I made immediate repairs to the hut, and uh, thinking, time's getting away, I better get back to my chores. And, uh, and so I did. The chickens and quails all fed and, and settling down for the night, it was time to put the turkeys away. As I said, the Royal Palm turkeys on the critical and dangerous list, uh, originally coming from the United States. We, um, we've just recently got back into breeding Royal Palms after many, many years. We, uh, we breed them successfully until a couple of years ago we lost both our, uh, our breeding, Tom, and, and uh, unfortunately things fell apart. Anyway, we're back in business now. We've got these three young ones. They're probably late teenage now, but um, 
because when they're young, they're very, very precious in uh, any change in temperature or if they get too wet, they can, um, they can quite easily go down and they don't survive for too long. Probably part of the reason they're a rare breed. So um, now that they're free-ranging, we still like to put them away at night until they get a little bit older. I looked around to find where they were grazing and they weren't to be found anywhere. So I thought, that's interesting. So I had a good look around the paddock and around the next paddock and then I noticed two paddocks away. They were on the wrong side of the fence that runs along the the, uh, the, board, the boundary of the property on the water race side. Now, the water race is full of um, literally hundreds of trees and plants and brambles and all sorts of things that have been flowing down the water race over hundreds of years and planting themselves in the soil. So it's a real wild, ragged bunch of, uh, of flora. So um, anyway, I found the three of them, climbed across, and they were um, they saw me coming and knew it was about feeding time, so they weren't in a hurry to run away, which was good. So I thought, well, if I can get them back over the fence. So I grabbed one and managed to lift it up enough to flick it over the top of the fence, which was all very well and good, but to do it three, with three of them was a bit of an, a big ask, and the other two started wandering off, fortunately in the direction, in the right direction. So I, um, I followed them for a while because I knew they were going to eventually come up to a bit of a hollow under the fence line. And uh, sorry, I just dropped my piece of my notes here. <laughs> so dodging under trees and brambles, I finally got them under the, towards the gap under the fence. Well, it's one thing to get them close to the gap under the fence. It's another one to get them to go actually through it. So another five minutes was spent trying to get them in the same direction and uh, coming back from detours as they headed towards the water race and imminent death and disappearance. But eventually we managed to finally get them, get them on the right side of the race. And then all of a sudden, just as, as I was contemplating how I was going to get them back over the two or three paddocks back to where they should be, uh, I noticed something from the peripheral vision and uh, this black and white thing shot from the sky down towards me. It was a magpie who would obviously come too close to their little nesting area because it's nesting season now. And this, the magpie started dive-bombing me, which is not a particularly good look when you're looking downwards trying to negotiate how to herd these, uh, these turkeys home. I've learned over the years that there is a way to stop or to be safe when, when um, magpies are dive-bombing you. Um, you may not be aware that if a magpie can see your eyes, they won't bomb you. Uh, I don't know. I don't know why. It's something that they that's coming from a surprise angle, I suppose. But the trick is to have a pair of sunglasses or a pair of glasses on the back of your head because they're also aware that you have peripheral vision. So as long as you've got a sunglasses on the back of your head, they think you've got all-around vision and they don't, they don't bomb you. But unfortunately, that time of day on a Friday afternoon, I was sunglassless. And so the bombing continued. So uh, <laughs> as I was fine again, the turkeys moving in amongst the dive bombing magpie, I disturbed our geese, our two Sebastopol geese who had just recently had these two beautiful little goslings, fluffy little goslings. And of course I was now infringing on their territory as well. With the gander coming racing up to me with his huge, big, very, very strong wings hissing and spitting and 
and uh, looking extremely evil. So uh, we managed to do a bit of a, a detour with the turkeys around the uh, goose or the geese, which fortunately took us out of the range of the magpie, which was good. So I was safe in the magpie. And we're just about back on track. When all of a sudden I started being dive-bombed by a Barbary dove, one of the most gentlest, beautiful creatures you, you could ever come across. These very soft, beigey, pinky-brown-coloured little doves uh, come from Africa, and they're just so gentle, absolutely gorgeous birds. This one I had uh, a couple of days ago, as I opened the door to their dove kit, he happened to be flying in a doorwardly direction at the same time, and as I opened the door, he just flew out, because that's the way he was flying as I opened the door. So he didn't want necessarily to get out. But once he was out, um, they're very tame, and I got very, very close to him and attempted to catch him, but he was, he was a little bit nervous, and he flew off. And for two days, he'd been stalking me around the farm, hoping that he would be... Um, hoping that I'd be quick enough to catch him and that he would be that split second braver to last just a second longer to to uh, be there for me to, to grab. Anyway, I was a bit tied up trying to herd these these turkeys back that I wasn't, wasn't able to do much with the way of him, but uh, at least I knew he was still with us. Anyway, to cut a long story short, we eventually managed to get back into the right paddock and uh, Julia escorted them to their little turkey uh, penthouse which they then recognised and hopped into and were duly fed and watered. So looking at my watch, I thought, well, there goes my early knock-off. So um, I started heading up towards the house. As I got to the driveway, I was met by two rather hungry and frustrated cats who escorted me back to the garage for their their dinner. And uh, so an an hour later than my usual stopping time, I was finally able to reunite with my Friday glass of wine. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you next time.